Hey, and welcome to another edition of the Rugby Report Card, a special one this week. Uh, but before we um, introduce our special guest, hence it being a special, uh, with me this week is James. How are you, mate? Very, very well. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Um, unfortunately, Blake is running a little bit late. Uh, he said he wanted to make a dramatic entrance. Is that that's what that's what you said, wasn't it, Jim? That's the text that I got. Very much so, a dramatic. Ed- he's practicing his monologue. That's what he's doing. Yes, he's just his rant. Up. Yeah, he's been working on it. If you haven't clocked in, all of it's scripted and well rehearsed. Mm, I did wonder what he was doing at work today, and now it all makes sense. But uh, joining us today, we, as I said, we have a special guest today, uh, is Harry Jones. Harry, mate, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hello, boys. How are you? I'm on the motorway from Charles de Gaulle into Paris. The sky is gloomy and ominous. I'm happy to be with you guys. I'm hoping that the the weather is not a representation of your mood because you know that's not re- reflecting of how you want to join join us. I know you say you're happy, but hopefully the weather's not in a uh, reflection of how this is going to go. But tell us a little bit about about you. Obviously, you know um, from the ACT, Bocky, being part of the Raw Sports. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, so our listeners. I'm sure everyone knows who you are, but tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm a perpetually happy guy. Um, I solve people's problems all over the world. That took me all over the place. I've coached uh, rugby in Norway and Mexico, played in Uruguay and Malawi, uh, none of it very well. Uh, but it turns out that I'm better at just uh, bullshitting about it, uh, potting, uh, writing, portraying, depicting. So I'm happy uh, to be part of this uh, Australian story. Um, it's been a wild ride. And uh, for me, as someone who's has a little bit of neutrality, it's been... Um, I guess maybe more objective um and so i've been writing on the roar and presenting on that podcast and and just trying to understand you know what's next for australian rugby and as you know my first allegiance is to the box to western province to cape town um but now i'm, I'm always going to really want australian rugby to go up what why is that because as a bocky you know i know you said obviously you've been writing for the roar the roar for a while and a connection but do you think uh, the world needs Australian rugby to be successful? Or is it just the fact that, the, you know, one of the original the superpowers, which is dwindling a little bit, is that where your love of, of Australian rugby comes from? No, I think I just have a sick fascination with Australia as a country. <laughs> um, I think, for, you know, for the longest time, there was always that theory that it didn't really exist, that the kinds of animals that were said to populate Australia could not exist. Mm. Um, it's, it seemed like in some ways that Australia was almost uh, too good to be true. Um, in rugby, I think I just like the dash and the uh, irreverence of Australian rugby. I like that that it broke cardinal rules of rugby and yet and yet won and frustrated the box all the time. There's the saying that Australia always shows South Africa what we're not. Uh, the, the All Blacks, you know, they are just good. Yeah, <laughs> but Australia has a strange way. Like, you know, you go back to the quarter the quarterfinal in Wellington in 2011. It's just a frustrating ability to do something unusual. Um, and then, you know, the people itself, I think, have always gravitated towards. Um, as far as the rugby, like, institution side, absolutely. Rugby is better with a strong Australia. I mean, look, the World Cup's coming to you guys. But second, it's um, it's got the market economy, the big cities. Um, the ability to actually actually do this thing. I mean, Wales and Scotland are not going to do it. New Zealand's too small. Um, in some ways, the crowded markets of UK and France also have their limitations. But Australia is sort of a wide open country that, that has immigrant populations and uh, yeah, just a sporting mentality. So for me, it's a necessary ingredient. Ingredient should never be given up on and. All the shiny new toys of Japan and Argentina and Uruguay, notwithstanding, Australia's bedrock, man. So, you've got to get this shit right. I know, and it's uh, you're absolutely right. I have to get this shit right. But uh, I just want to add one thing just before we get into the, the the World Cup now, and obviously projecting forward to the weekend. Part of your your biography doesn't in, doesn't include the word clairvoyant because I've just seen a tweet from the first of December twenty twenty two. You already predicted that this was going to be a shit fight, yeah? For for so, do you often are you this this good at predicting normally? And not just right, you know. I was in my particulars. I was I was uh, I was so precise it's almost as if it's it's almost as if i wrote the future not even like that i knew it but i actually 
I dictated it. I pre preordained <laughs> it. Um, and Eddie has flaws, and they are well apparent. But he's very skillful at the front, at the at the the first part. You can imagine him right now with a Japanese job, you know, just playing that like a maestro. Um, but it's almost like he's lost his other uh, hard abilities. It's all soft abilities now. It's all boardroom presentation. Wouldn't you love to see his powerpoints? Uh, what they, what they would look like? Um, but no, he's a movable feast. It's just all over the place. And and the problem is he's so in love with his gimmickry that what I predicted was that he would. Some players would just be immune. Others would be vaccinated uh, from selection. Uh, he would apply strange logic and then never backtrack. And then he would just default to it's twenty it's twenty twenty seven, mate. That's what he would do. And yeah. Um, there's a narcissist narcissism there that's not a really criticism i think you have to be that way to be a top coach by the way if you don't start there you end up there you're gonna be a bastard but then you have to also know when it's time to go around the world and talk to sherpas and see the babbling brooks and get new ideas and i don't think eddie ever refreshed it's just been solid 4 a.m to midnight drumming some kind of weird thought process into his own head uh it's been just sort of a yeah, it's like rugby wankery. It doesn't really yeah. work. You have to you have to get something new. One of the issues being is his coaching style is just so well documented back in 2003 and before that, and even when he was in Japan, they didn't really know who they were getting. That that sort of style, you could see it turning results over, right? He wasn't completely in control when he was over there in South Africa, so that little edge would have worked towards their advantage. But now it's just all the players – They've heard the stories. They know the senior guard who would have shot a text in a group chat explaining what his style is like that, you know, you're sort of just expecting him to be a bit gimmicky and sort of, is this serious? Is this not serious? And he never really evolved by the looks of it. It's been an absolute shit show. I can't believe Japan have subscribed back in. Yeah, there's a nasty edge to it too. I think if you go back in time, I mean, he's always been a battler and an underdog and you read his books, he talks about, climbing over you know the dead bodies of others to get to the top but there was still a cheekiness to it that was likable i mean the last four or five years it's just been uh belligerent needlessly belligerent and in a market where you need to be charming and you have a small press corps that's not you know sitting on millions i don't know why he was so intent on making everyone hate him uh so for me it seemed like he was still getting revenge on the palms and he didn't like the way he was treated there I think he was treated fine, actually. I think he got a free ride on a couple of reviews. What a great but, deal! Yeah, but it, but I just don't think he like. I don't, I don't think he likes to be broken up with. So he'll be the one who breaks up with you forever. He's never going to be the guy you dump. Um, that's what he really learned. Is no, you're not going to do that to me. So I think you see this Japanese flirtation in that light. Um, I don't think he's good without a strong right hand man, wingman that tells him no, that's nonsense. Uh, that's rubbish. Stop it. Um, a Laurie Fisher type. Um, and then some guys like Dan and Lester are not going to even put up with being a right-hand man to Eddie. So you'd have to find a guy who's okay being a right-hand man forever, you know, whatever that is. Not every coach is a head man. Um, and then that Borthwick type can help Eddie stay on track. You know, it's almost like the Jacques Ninaber, Rossi Erasmus combination where you have the visionary wild man who has to you know smoke peyote and go to the mountains and eat mm. mushrooms in oaxaca and then come back get banned come back and then you know Jacques is like yeah but the numbers the numbers i think eddie was never good by himself and over time as he has his personality got bigger he was able to demand that he was by himself hey it's my way the highway that was the worst thing for eddie he needs a minder he needs a handler and uh, he needs to be wrangled but it's not only that it was just the evolution of coaching ideas if you think back to all the greatest one of the greatest football managers of all time, you know, was Sir Alex Ferguson. And you look at the evolution of him, he had like four or five assistant coaches, whether it was Mike Phelan or Carlos Kiros or whether it was Steve McLaren, that constant evolution of ideas and how the team evolved. Eddie being on his own was like, not my way, and there is no evolution. England had no plan B for a while, and it's the same. It's just watching it right now, and it's funny. And it's like, I'm not sure, and this is where I'd love your opinion, I'd is all this posturing with Japan, is it just him trying to get his way and say, look, I want my way and I need X, Y, Z to become 2027. So I'm going to flirt, to use your words, with other nations to try and push and get my way? Or do you think that it is actually the fact that he's going to leave? 
Because I don't know the answer to that, obviously. Uh, what I understand is we're watching a triangular negotiation that is particularly Japanese in character. Um, and you can negotiate how someone talks about a negotiation, right? You can, you can take the talent, which is Eddie, and say, you're allowed to say that we have no discussions. And we can discuss the fact that we're not having discussions. And you can contractually agree. There may even be a back channel to Australia saying, this is what's happening. We can solve your mess and help us ourselves because we're in love with Eddie now. Um, and it also is the chance that it's really just between um, Eddie and someone else. And it hasn't been a final decision, but it's all Kabuki style. It's, it's nothing's real. Um, I wouldn't take anything he says literally at this point in time because obviously he is negotiating. And he's trying to figure a way out. I do think you're right about one thing, which is he wanted the Kush rod. And I think he thought he had it with Australia. I think he had you know, the ham and egg show. He had Hamish in his pocket so he could, he could demand things that no one else had. Rennie didn't get five keto picks. No. Uh, Rennie didn't have absolute control over everything. He didn't have you know, drones in the sky and five psychologists and a million dollars uh, clip. Um, and he got everything he said he wanted. And I think he wants even more. Yeah. Um, I think he had the USA job on a platter, which would have been much better for him. And uh, he, he would have been dealing with neophytes who wouldn't even know what he was fucking up. So um, he would have been better. And he had a longer glide there. And I think his personality would lend itself you know, to self-promotion. Um, Do you think part I think of it Australia, is... On that, um, it was a bad fit in the end. Mm. On that Japan triangle, it's as, it's as good as done. Like, even yeah. if he decides, you know what, now I'll stick with Australian rugby, all respect and integrity out the window. It's it's already it's, announced that we'll have a decision by Monday as some of what the media is leaking and reporting and there's a secret Japanese yeah. meeting where they're discussing. It's over. It's mm. done. Don't come back. Because all the players, there's no trust there. There's no, it, It's just been horribly managed. But it's almost like he's taken each stepping stone. He's coming back to Australia where he had a little bit of success. He'll go to Japan where he had a little bit of success, probably fucked that up. And it's only a matter of time until he's back in the South African outfit. I know. And... <laughs> and <laughs> Just, just before I uh, introduce Blake, who's just arrived, I, the, the thing is, it's like, we're high school teachers. It's like he's being a year nine boy trying to push to find the boundary and just be a bit petulant just to see, you know, just be as much of a dick as he can to see how much he can annoy and, and uh, whoever the leader or the teacher or whatever it is around it. So it's funny to watch at the moment. But Blake, uh, obviously, you've just now finished your uh, your write-up, your report, and you're obviously what you're doing in the moment. So welcome. So <laughs> Harry, this is Blake. Hey, mate. Nice to meet you. It sounds like we're talking about Eddie. Fuck him, trader. Is that the gist? <laughs> hey, no, I'm doing very philosophical, intellectual stuff, but yeah, you're going to come straight at it. I like it. I've got a theory, though. I, I, I honestly think um, this is the silver lining. He's going to fall on his sword to save the ARU the payout, and that's the line he's going to take so we feel bad for him. <laughs> I don't know. Say, so I think you know. We were talking about what what his motivations and mindset is. To me, Eddie's the guy who read the first three pages of every philosophical book, but never read the, all the way through. So we're just a little bit of Spinoza, a bit of Immanuel Kant, and then he blended together in some kind of soup. He he repeats mantras like an autodidact. It's almost like he doesn't even actually understand the words he's saying. Possession rugby's dead, mate. I'm like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Or I take responsibility, but what does that mean? uh drew drew mitchell's favorite uh you know, rants but i do think there's there's still a brain up there um i don't know where he fits i never thought he was a long-term guy the only way he would ever would have fit with this gig in australia was to be the smash and grab and then go away or you know go up and be a you know the senior grandfather of rugby but you know i never understood what he was doing while he was actually being the coach I think in England he did better because at least there's some structure there that would hold him back, but yeah. um, nothing was holding him back with you guys. I like that. You've described him as my undergrad degree. <laughs> read, the start, read the start of the reading, fake your way through the tube. You've nailed it, the philosophy. <laughs> um, it, look, it is, it is a really interesting insight that there seems to not be a lot of depth there, and it sounds like Hamish just chucked him the keys and went not working or i don't know was it just a media grab is hamish a media guy and thought eddie's bums on seats i don't know everyone said everyone will say to me 
that Amish is a, a horrible human being, that he's someone who's despicable to be around. They say, go on the record, I go, no. Uh, hey, talk to me about, you know, like, can I quote you? No. But I have never found anyone that said, I like the guy and he really believes in rugby in Australia. I've always only heard that he believes, believes in himself. Um, that's just the truth, guys. I mean, it's a very big sample size. I cannot find anyone who says he's good to work with. He's the kind of guy that you feel like you're working for a nice guy who will care for you and help you and your family. It's it's just a, he's a real rapier sword kind of guy. So I don't know how they fit together. I'm really the uns, the untold story is what's happening between uh, him and Egg right now. Like, are they still buddies or not? I don't know. It's hard to imagine those two personalities could be. That's really interesting about Hamish. He did our podcast early doors and he, he charmed us. So he's supposedly good in the one-offs, in the interviews, in the boardroom. Similar to Eddie. Eddie's charming too. Uh, Eddie is a guy who can really make you like him. Um, but I mean, the the actual um, practical effects, relationships. Oh. Yeah, it, it just people want to go away. Uh, people don't want to stick around. Um, and I, I, you know, there's a story that's told. It's apocryphal. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Dylan Lades is a pretty good guy. I went to Bishops, uh, my school in Cape Town. And he said that, you know, Eddie rocked up in the Stormers. You know, he was a coach there for two days. And uh, he sat down with Dylan Lades, who's always been a utility back, plays for La Rochelle right now as a wing. He's also a pretty good 15, but he played 10 at schools. And Eddie said, hey, I'm going to make you the, the best, the greatest fluff in South Africa. Will be the Springbok 10 that will rival Henry, Hunne Henry Hunnibal, and you'll be the new guy, the new wave, the cool version. Uh, sat down with him for three hours at lunch, filled him up. Dylan was talking to his dad, 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 I'm going to be a 10 finally. They'll let me be a 10. I'll be the first 10 of, of color in Springbok history. Eddie believes in me. A day later, Eddie was on the plane to, uh, to London to take the England job. Why would a guy who already knew that he had the job? Spend three hours talking to an impressionable young man is one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. And like, what is that? So there's seeds of, what is that called? Sociopathy. Mm. Um, it's almost like he's uh, dabbling in this thing and thinking it's all an experiment. And, and I'm being serious about reading the first few pages. I think he, he talks to like a four-star general and a Navy SEAL and a guy who like rappels down the Everest. But it doesn't make any sense of it. It's like he just blabbers things like, well, you have to stick to the three phases. You can't score. Like, well, what does that mean? What if you have the ball for six phases? What are you going to do? Um, it, there's not any practical takeaways. And so I think he's just lost his way and he needs to, like I say, go away and, you know, bathe with the snow monkeys up in Hokkaido and get some ideas. It's really well, hard as a fan. It's really hard to think, you know, that three phases, six phases, that at, at a basic level like that, that that's the chat that goes on. There is nothing there. I mean, that's exactly what it looks like. But he gets the benefit of the doubt because it's too simple. There must be something we're not knowing or not picking up on. I've got to go back to that story he told. There's got to be something there. That's the trick of it. But do you know how nice this is to have you on, Harry? Someone is hyperbolic as me about eddie jones uh, i i feel like it's quite nice to to hear it bouncing back um and what you said about that sort of sociopathic behavior he'll butter him up one day and then he'll slam the door on the next and then the, the next big thing and then he dropped out of the team and it's like his whole psychology is a toxic relationship where you know you need him i mean eddie becomes bigger and the players become smaller and um, after a while in his camps, and there's a couple of players that stay big, like Owen Farrell or something, but most of the players become diminished and the assistant coaches go away. So there's something in what you're saying about, you know, that he has this need to size up and be the big Eddie and choke out the oxygen. And it doesn't really lead to a happy camp. I don't know about you, but I was around here a lot uh, during the pool play and you could detect whether a camp is happy or not or a team is happy. Even warm ups and just around town, the Wallabies were never happy. And the people that would go on record and say Eddie's a good guy, they're just kind of obsequious, um, authority obeying guys. You know, there was not, I think, got rid of all the people who would speak the truth. Mm. Can I ask you just think about the players coming out now then? So Karevi's come out. Are these just guys on contract looking at a five year coach? There's a, what else can you say? Is, what, what does everyone think about that? 
Well, I reckon it influences their next hire too. The next club that signs him or looking to send Karevi, like they take this shit into account. How was he when things didn't go his way? Yeah, and also if and he's going to be a big guy in Japan, whether it's on club level or ownership level, Samu's making the right move there. Um, yeah, you want him to blink three or four times while he's making the video, right? So you can get the hostage message. <laughs> so he can work out what, what the players actually <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. Well, the players say he's good. And I, I hard find that hard to stomach, the, given the hostage situation that they're in. Richard, you're the sensible one in the room. What's your take on all this? No, I think it's yeah. all it. It's all, it's all ego. It is absolutely. He wants complete control. He's a narcissist. I would maybe not go as fast as the analogies or the sociopath, but he's a narcissist. He wants complete control. He wants to know everyone is the teacher, the leader, the 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 person who's in charge of this. And anyone who oversteps their mark or starts to flourish to get more credit than him, I think he definitely puts them in his place because he wants everything to be about him. Um, and I think that's probably been evident in the last few years it's not not just in the wallabies it was even in england as well um and i think the problem is for a team to in the modern age and even in the last 10 years a team needs to come together you need to have that collective efficacy that buy-in and it's definitely clear that it doesn't seem to have that um, and some of that comes also from a second point it comes from a clear directional goal and as much as we play about this positionless rugby that eddie talks about I'm still not 100% what direction the Wallabies have tried to be playing. They seem to chop and change. So that's also links into that lack of um, collective identity, that, that sense of cohesion as well. So there's a number of things that Eddie's got wrong, but I'd love to know, like, where do we all think Eddie will be in 12 months' time? Like, that's that's a genuine question. Where do, what do you guys think? I think he'll be in Japan in some regard. I mean, he'll be with his wife in Japan. He'll 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 be doing something that where no one's questioning him. I think he doesn't like accountability. Mm. So may, he might have learned from this whole you know, these last, last two jobs. He might have just learned. I, I don't want to ever be really being called on the carpet. I'm tired of all that. So maybe it's uh, it's more like the uh, the back office. Maybe it's you know where he wants to hire the coach. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. The next place he can have success, I'm going Portugal. <laughs> Fuck up their program before he gets started. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about some success at the World Cup. Obviously, you've been there. Just before we talk about the quarterfinals and project forward, and I'd love to hear your your views, obviously, on the Bockies. And, um, because we are – actually, two of us have the Bockies down as our favourites and excited about the progress they're making. But um, – we all salivated over the thought about going to the the, uh, the Rugby World Cup in France and unfortunately it never materialised for a number of different reasons. But we've been hearing different views, some saying it's an incredible atmosphere, you know, it's wonderful. Then you hear the other sides of it, you know, in terms of like poor transport um, and things like that. What has been your overriding view with the World Cup so far? Obviously, we're through the pool stages, which is the majority of the games. The quality of the games will pick up. But what have you thought about the spectacle as a whole so far? Uh, it's uneven, you know, it's like a, it's like a really, really good art flick where you have a couple of good actors and you have a couple of excruciating fringe actors. So I think the main body of France doesn't really understand that we're here and doesn't care. And then there's the rugby uh, sphere that is really into it. Um, organizationally, it's not tops, um, just on simple, you know, schlepping beer and getting you into the toilet and back before the next kickoff. Um, but, I mean, the stadiums are pretty cool. Uh, it's visually appealing. Um, I don't like the anthems sung mercilessly during uh, games where France is not a part of it because I, I think it's just ADHD masturbation. But, um, I mean, like, wait until your team is playing before you bellow out your warlike, blood-curdling anthem five times. But, um, yeah, they're not really like the natural hosts. They're more like cats throwing a World Cup instead of dogs. Um, Such Parisians. <laughs> they're just purring and rubbing their own legs. I just don't know if they really care that we're here. I think Stade de France is a different animal. It's a fantastic stadium. And I think, uh -huh. you know, you can get in and out. It's got a lot of beer around it and food. It's got the approximate of a meat pie instead of just sweets. Um, so I think that's pretty fun. Marseille is a sweaty, just cauldron of craziness. Um, some of the regional stadiums were fun. I would say Bordeaux was the place to be. That's a cozy town, 
it's kind of bougie, but it's really fun. And you can get from stadium from tram on tram to CBD really quickly. But some of the stadiums, like in Lyon, it's nice, but it's so far away. It's almost like you go past the airport. So that's no good. I mean, I would say it's a strange cup because of the draw and it, it, everyone has the narratives and stuff. But what it does is it means that a team with a loss, it doesn't mean anything. Like New Zealand is not having a loss. It means nothing. So throw all those bandages out about losing teams and all that. You can lose in the pool. Whereas Wales and England, what do their 4 or 4 mean? You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I reckon that you, as an outsider, France being France, you know, French people are a bit fucked, absolutely. Um, but I'm very jealous. France sounds like fun. But as an outsider looking in, it's like the competition starts this weekend. There's been a few little stories like Portugal, that was kind of cool. Fiji, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, England a bit shit, that's always good to see. Um, Eddie collapsed blowing Australia up. That was a bit of a story, but it was all a bit, I don't know. It feels like the rugby starts this weekend. Like you said, New Zealand's loss, what does that really mean? South Africa losing to Ireland, what's that really mean? It feels like this weekend is 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 the real deal and we're actually getting kick-started into a World Cup. Yeah, and I think the thing is about it, we've talked about the draw enough, and I think we don't need to put that to bed. To win the World Cup, you don't have to beat the best teams along the way. And actually, the draw has actually meant that the quarterfinals are going to be really good quarterfinals. Like, the fact is, if you'd have spread them out at whole, the quarterfinals might have been another, uh, just another round. Not like, And I don't mean that like rudely because you love the rugby, but you could have seen where it played out. But these games, these four games that are coming up, Literally, some of them are a toss of coin. And actually, there might be a greater amount of uh, quality games this way than what there would have been the other way. Uh, because this this round is going to be outstanding. It does mean a very average to shit England or Fiji will get to a semi-final. I understand that point. Um, but I, I'm very excited by this round this round of games because I think it's going to be uh, going to be great. Yeah, the only quarterfinal where you'd say there's a clear favourite is the England-Fiji. And then you backtrack and say, but Fiji just beat England. Yeah, exactly. And you also, yeah, and you also, there's a bit of a chop and change there on the English side. So that is the silver lining that, that they're all toss ups, basically. Um, I, I think they're fascinating matchups as a whole. I just think the, the way the teams play is interesting. I love the idea of the Kiwis possibly getting their revenge. I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think about that point? I, th- I think for me as an Aussie fan, I'm. I'm just permanently scarred by the All Blacks. There's no game where I don't think they're going to win. Um, I do think they don't have the front row to match it with the other big three, um, but I reckon every other position from their back, they're, they're more than competitive. Um, so I still think the All Blacks are going to pop the island bubble um, in the quarterfinal. I just like... as. From my perspective, you look at the island team and you're like, there's guys who couldn't cut it in Kiwi Super Rugby playing the All Blacks. The All Blacks are going to win. Then you look at it objectively and you're like, well, Ireland's won the last three. Ireland's number one in the world. Ireland's won 17 in a row. Ireland are the form side. Johnny Sexton steering the ship. All the ingredients are there and they deserve to be the favourites. But I just, sitting here, I still think New Zealand are going to win. Isn't it um, I it's Southern Hemisphere bias. It's a PTSD from just being bashed by them every week. Um, but I'm still on the Kiwis there. Look, and I know that, that someone else is going to shout at me for saying this, but I think this is kind of like the an island of very good, but I feel like this is the classic battle of a team that is structured, well-oiled against a team of amazing individuals that at any point could do something freakish and ridiculous uh, just... Um, come from 15 down to win by 20. Like, that's New Zealand. And it's just, which is going to come through? Is it the well-oiled machine or the mavericks in New Zealand? And to Blake's point, we've seen New Zealand be mavericks and been amazing to a point. And I, I find it very hard to back against them. So even though in Ireland are the, the number one team in the world, just that individual brilliance, I think, still gets them over the edge. But Like, like, like what Blake was saying, all you can base this on is what you've seen both teams do, right? It could go either way. There's nothing you could say about this game that would be absolute. What we've seen is Ireland are all about control. They've got control issues. If they're not in control, that's where they fall apart. But they're always very good at bouncing back and controlling that ruck. And they've got New Zealand's number when it comes to that ruck area. 
winning the set piece and controlling it like they want. We talk about New Zealand being able to score like on on note whenever they really feel like they counter, you know, their dynamic play. They've just picked that Leicester dude at, at, 15, at 14, rather. He's coming on to start. Like you can see where they're gearing up to sort of they know that that's the area which they're going to win. But in a game where it's a do or die, it's a it's a World Cup quarterfinal. Historically, what wins these matches is the control around the ruck because it puts less pressure on the team when it doesn't work. When New Zealand don't come off in the first half an hour and they haven't got those points, the pressure's on them. But that's exactly where Ireland want to be. It'd be interesting and- to see how it is around 60 minutes, though, because I agree with you. It's that breakdown work. Who wins that battle? But it's also the bench or the impact players, that 5-3 split that the All Blacks have got. Those players that they've got covered off the bench are going to make such a, a big difference. Um, so it's all about that first 60 because you're right. Before we throw to you, Harry, I actually think it's about the first 20. Yeah. If Ireland get out in front, they can control the game. I think if they fall a little bit behind to the All Blacks and they get an early, All Blacks get an early try, it might just bring a bit of panic into that island camp. They need more um, than seven. I mean, this was my methodology for the All Blacks beating France in the Southern Hemisphere team World Cup, and they lost. And I said after that, if they lose, I'll drink the Kool Aid. I'll admit the Northern Hemisphere have got something, but here I am still on the Southern Hemisphere. Um, what do you reckon, Harry? Yeah, I think in the I think in that quarterfinal. The first 20 minutes is dispositive. I, I think uh, South Africa, France, it's not. I think those neither one of those teams could put the other one away. It'll be there in, a, in the 60 minutes. Someone will pull away there. But Ireland and New Zealand both, to me, have a little bit of fragility around being stung. Like, how, how long has it been since Ireland really got smashed? I think it was in the first test in New Zealand in that series, and, they, and New Zealand just used 20 minutes to put them away. So I think... New Zealand has to start better. If they can, I think Ireland is gonna is gonna be um, a bit panicky because I do believe in this theory that being in knockout matches in the World Cup is the only way to be ready for knockout matches in the World Cup. Mm. And Ireland's never even led in a quarterfinal, not even for one second have they led a quarterfinal match. Um, and everyone says there's levels. Everyone who's been in them said, no, nah, there's levels. It's above Heineken. It's, uh, it's above Super Rugby. It's above Six Nations. And John Smith put it aptly. He said, you know, there's only one way to know when you're in a dark room in the bedroom and you want to go and turn the light switch on is you've done it before. You know where the light switch is. And there's something about that, that dark water. You look at the, the white locks and the barracks. I mean, they've just been there. Mm-hmm. So... You keep waiting for it. Yeah, maybe we're scarring. Maybe it's PTSD yeah. that we just, all blacks always do this. But I just cannot believe that that extra experience is not going to be uh, telling. And then when you look at South Africa, half of those blokes were there four years ago. They know where the light switch is. Most experienced. It's 20 out, of, yeah. 20 out of 23, actually. And mm. it's nine out of 23 who were at the semifinal in Twickenham in 2015 in the rain against the best team that ever existed. So That's better stats the than I've ever heard Richard give. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. That is oh, the the start to Eddie base his selections off. Eddie, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <The> anti-Eddie. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I, think, I think that basis is what uh, Jacques and, and Rossi were trying to build. Um, you know, Ben Darwin talks about you know, the cohesion factor, but it's just knowing where your mate's going to be. It's like playing tennis and you have a really good partner. You don't want to talk all the time. It's like yours, mine, you know. You know whose it is. And um, I think, you know, Ireland has built that domestically and within the two nations tournament that they play in, maybe three nations. But I don't know. Have they really ever seen New Zealand at their ceiling? I think for 20 minutes they did in, in New Zealand and New Zealand put them away. So I don't know if Ian Foster's got that kind of drive and anger and fire, but someone's going to light it up. Maybe it's Uncle Joe. I just kind of want to see, I want to see New Zealand play their best against Ireland. Mm. That would be fun. Talking about uh, lighting a fire and being at the best, is this the the best Bocky team? Like, because you've gone from a more traditional five three bench for their quarterfinal, obviously at the starting fifteen um, as well. Very experienced. Is this the best Springbok team right now in Europe? Before you jump in, can I say as an outsider looking into the box, the halves combination really surprised me. I thought Faf and Pollard for sure. So. What's that about? And is this the box best side? 
So I think with all the experimentation, and make no mistake, they were doing crazy experiments for two years, even in the Welsh series in South Africa. Um, I think Rainer... If you were and, playing Wales, you could... You, you were playing Wales, of course you could experiment. <laughs> no, I think they put 40 points on you if you're not careful. Yeah, but, but that, that's Pivik's <laughs> team. That was Pivak's team, not, not Gatlin's team. Come on, man. But, but it was throughout. It was like gimmickry, four scrum-offs, all this... Throughout, there was this feeling that Reinach and Libok would be the combination, and Pollard and Faf would be the combination. Uh, once Pollard was coming in, and I always called them 33A because I knew he was coming. So then it became which one starts, and that's just all around Pollard's reliance on Billy to start attacks, whereas Libok and Willemsa seem to, to ignite better together. There's a bit of a provincial uh, experience there between Damien and, uh, and Mani. So I think it's just a matter of, of these combinations. And this coaching team is all about that. They're all about these combinations. And, and like I said, instinctual. Mani and Willems are both quick twitch muscle, crazy uh, athleticism. And then Pollard and Willie are the you know craftsmen who will break you down uh, and then do this one thing that wins the match. So I think the theory is they looked at France, they said, you're actually a little bit slow. So this block team is quicker. I mean, just demonstrably across the board, it's a faster team. The French do not have the athletes to match that speed. And the only one they could possibly be Fiku and Pino. Pino. I think on that one, they're just going to blitz them all night. Um, is it the best? I don't know. You know, it's going to be, if if you said semi-final loss, final win, final win, then it's one of the best teams in history, for sure. Probably the best. And if you go out on the corners, then uh, you're at a failure. Go away. We hate you. So... You know, it's, it's a brutal sport, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you sound pretty confident, though. I'm very confident. I've actually never been more confident about a tough match than this one. I think we put them away comfortably. And I think if the French is a bit of a myth, um, I think they rely too much on being hard. I said over and over that they are aroused, but are they hard enough? They're not hard enough. I don't think. I, I don't think just man for man, they're really they really can match box in fuel in full berserker fury. Um, playing low and hard. The only thing that could matter would be cards. You know, if you touch one little tiny bit of Antoine Dupont, what happens? I don't know. What I would do is make Antoine Dupont a tackler and just drive my knees into him as much as I could because they don't think you get carded for running into someone, but you do for tackling someone. So anytime Antoine Dupont's running, you know, we're only going ankles, but every time I'm seeing him, my sights and I'm running, I'm just going to put my hardest part through his softest part right away. Do you know what, what's interesting? You say about the, the quickness and the athleticism of the team. I don't disagree with you. You're absolutely right. It's it's unbelievable. But to beat this French team, surely, um, to your point, you're going to go in and around the fringes, keep it tight for a long time first, try to tie in that French team, try to make Dupont tackle around the edges. Um, without Entomac at 10, they, lost, they lose that little bit of brilliance as well, run through those channels and then go wide. Isn't that the secret to, their, to the Bucky's success? No, it, it'll, it'll just go back to normal, which has always been score more late. Um, Box have won second half for the last three years, four years maybe. Just tired to uh, it's Just got to stay in the first half. Just like cannot get down by four, five, six. That's why you got to make a kick. So, you know, the one big if thing is if Marnie's off on the on the tee, mm. um, that, will, that will hurt. But, you know, if, he's if he is off, off, if yeah. he is off on the tee... Is that it for him? Like, say South Africa lose and he's missed three shots at goal in the first 50 minutes and then they pull him. Will the knives be out? Because the, the sky is the limit with that kid. There's so much potential, and I understand why the coaches are sticking with him and showing that confidence. But it, it reeks to me that if he doesn't perform at the tee, regardless of how he plays, and it led to a loss, that like, that... I couldn't imagine the South African fan base from what I read after the uh, the original loss. No, the one thing you cannot do in South Africa is Mr. Kicks. Um, and, of course, that's been happening for about a year now. And people were patient about it because, you know, Pollard was out. But now that he's sitting right there, I think the early bomb squad could actually be the backs. Because you could pull on Faf, Andre, and Willie as a, as a, as a little bomb squad, as a as a grenade squad. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. They could come on early. You, you could hook money just from that. Or you could move money anywhere in the back line because he can play anywhere. And they have played well together. Um, so 
I think they have flexibility, and I think that also wanted to put flexibility. Um, it's interesting that the bomb squad this time around is not very big. Kwaha is one of the five forwards, uh, and the props are all short. So I think there's a speed thing. I think they went back to Marseille uh, a year ago and looked at the French games and said, speed can kill them. And that's a very quick Bach team. It's unusually quick, but it's also experience. It's the second most experienced team in Bach history. What are your, uh, if, if you had to put your, obviously we've said the Bockies, you, you think the Bockies will beat the French. Because uh, to look at the other ones, you think the, where are you sitting? Just at a one word answer, New Zealand or or, or yeah. Ireland? Because I, I don't think we got to the nitty gritty of that. You got I think I dream, I think I dream of All Blacks win, but you know, there's nothing on the ground right now. Uh, to Jim's point, there's nothing really telling there's no evidence for that. So I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why. It's just I, I think it's just bad nightmares. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's where I'm with it. <laughs> you got a you got a uh, you got a black shirt on. That's why a black Nike shirt on. Oh, yeah, I, I, Ireland is playing Ireland is playing best, the number one. They've forgotten how to lose. They're, I mean they're a union team. Everyone has their slot. There's an electrician, a plumber, and a landscaper and an architect. They all know their roles. Their coaching setup is like the opposite of Eddie, you know, Mike Cat and Paul O'Connell and these guys are dream used to be the like a dream team. Mm. They should win. But there's just something about it that tells me, yeah, but what if Shannon Frizzell wakes up and says, I'm just gonna murder all you guys? Yeah. What do they do? He's twice the man they are. I mean, literally, one on one. You're never picking yeah. you're never picking uh Kaylin Doris over Shannon Frizzell. If you yeah. pick up, you know, pick up rugby, let's go. That's how I say. I feel like if you're picking a combined All Black Island team, how many Irish players are making it? But then, as a collective, it's a different debate. Put yeah. the Irish together, it's a different debate. But you know, you're picking a collective fifteen. How many Irish blokes are in it? Not many. Mm, um, it, it, yeah, because Andy Farrell's the coach. I think he takes a guy like Aaron. he can coach Aaron Smith to play better than Jameson Gibson Park. Yeah, yeah, yes, and I mean that's how it looks from from where I'm sitting. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you phrase it like that, eh? No, I know we've spent quite a bit of time on the you know the the other quarterfinals, you know, but we've got to <laughs> got to, to talk about the main quarterfinals. Obviously, the ones that are coming up too, you know, Wales Argentina being a cracker of a game, and England Fiji. Uh, let's start off with Wales Argentina. They're probably the most underwhelming game of the round. Um, what are your thoughts on it, boys? What do you what do you reckon this game? Is this one going to be the one where not everyone doesn't think that much is going to happen? Is actually going to be an absolute ripper, or do we think this is going to go as the script suggests? Um, and it's going to be a bit of a dour game, but one team's going to win by about five. I've just been waiting for Wales to come undone. The, all the chat leading into this World Cup was Wales were done by yeah. Georgia, was it? Or whatever team, some minnow team did them. Yeah, they had they, a really poor they out of form for ages. They were laughed out of the Six Nations, but they've had a great World Cup. They've done exactly what they've needed to do. They've looked in control and done it convincingly. Argentina, on the other hand, they haven't. They're very, having a World Cup where everyone thought that they'd be a little bit better. Um, very, very poor group Wales were in other than Fiji, though. Not much going on in that group. There's no need to be a dick, mate. Um, <laughs> but this is their, both teams, this is their ceiling. This is as far as they can travel. Oh, it goes game. without saying, but they I must admit, Gatlin Checker has me salivating. Those two have been going at it forever. Um, and I like to see the rematch there and Wales you've just got to think all the all respect and credit goes to Gatlin he's got this team operating but you've got to think with what Ants came out Falatire out they're they're the walking wounded and they don't exactly play the most exciting or interesting game of rugby Wales um, but I didn't mind their fans after they pumped us they were actually fairly humble so I don't hate the Welsh as much as usual right now um, I love that. That's the barometer. Where they yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Quite, they're quite nice. And the, Wal the, Welsh, the Welsh were all fighting each other. I was at that game, <laughs> and, I, and I was walking out. And instead of fighting the Wallabies, they were just squaring off boyos and boyos and corridors and and stairwells and just I mean literally like punt, like yeah. knocking each other out. It was great fun. And they were like um, you know chanting the names of their local clubs, so there was internal rivalries. <laughs> uh, that's to praise my. To, to praise my clairvoyance a little bit more, because I'm a little bit like Eddie, uh, I did pick Wales to, to be the fifth uh, best team in the World Cup. 
a year ago and whenever Warren got that. And I just said, he knows how to do this. Like whatever Eddie's saying he knows how to do, Warren actually knows how to do that. He actually um, knows how to do it. Yeah. He won't tell everyone. Yeah. Can I ask you as and a side knows, note on that one of those Wales fans? And he, oh, yeah, sorry. What what countries no. traveled the best? Who's got the most fans running around? Like who Ireland. feels like what? Irish, fuck, there's so the many Irish. of them here. The Irish. No, the state. Irish. It's unbelievable. It's like it's the start of zombie. It's the start of farce. It's it's like literally this has become an Irish province. It's the new province. Um, they are just here in droves. They really believe. They believe in themselves. Fuck, go um, New Zealand, man. So I know it makes me really want Bill Blacks to win. <laughs> it's gonna be so sad. I mean, I, will, I think we'll never see a more depressed group than if what happens, what we think is going to happen, what we probably will happen, actually, New Zealand will just come back to life. Um, Jesus. So you know, the, winner, the winner in all of this, mate, Guinness, is going to make so much money. Fuck, win, <laughs> lose, they're going to make a cat. <laughs> we cut you off there, so you think Wales will, will put Argentina away? Well, so yeah, I like Checker's renaissance. I like the fact that Checker did the thing that we talked about that Eddie should have done, like go away and become a better man. Do you know what that sounds like, Eddie's uh, tactical um, understanding over the last few weeks, yes? Is this, uh... Uh, checkers. <laughs> I like I like Checker now. I like so he's been our been on our part and we have um we have some good guests coming up, so I gotta be careful who I talk about. But I do think um I think Wales has just a little bit more bloody mindedness at the end. You know, Santi Carreras can just can win a game for you and also lose a game for you. Uh, all the Argentine players can just fucking shit the bed sometimes. So um, I do like the kicker. They have three great locks. Guido Petty is like an unsung hero. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a hell of a game. I, I would say Wales by five. I'm going to say the winner in this game is a yellow and red card. The both teams <laughs> love it. Both teams love a card. Jeez. Um, and the last, uh, the last game, obviously the uh, England Fiji game, which is a really is a toss up because Fiji. No, it three. isn't. You're doing that humble, pessimistic <laughs> British thing. Fiji suck, mate. Oh. Well, these are just awful. They just beat Georgia. They just beat Portugal. The bunch of blokes are injured. They're playing pretty uninspired footy now. Their squad's not deep. My heart says Fiji. I've bought the jersey. I'll be riding with them all the way. England will do me the jersey, please. Oh, it's just out the back, mate. Oh, England will do this yeah. in their sleep. Did you see England play against uh, Samoa? They were pretty <laughs> shit. <laughs> I just want to give that as a counter argument. <laughs> sure. Um, look, England did not play great. I mean, it's interesting though. Like Steve Borthwick really doesn't know his best team. You know, he's been chopping and changing. There's rumours coming out about the fact that. Uh, um, George Ford is going to be dropped that are to stop the 10, 12 axis, which is great. I think it's never really worked that Farrell Ford axis, but the, uh, um, you know, Marcus Smith at fullback, which is an interesting one. So it doesn't see what the team he actually selects because Steve Borthwick still doesn't know what his uh, first choice team is, but look, England before the world cup, I'd have said England will, will win, but right now I'm not so confident, but maybe that's just me being. A oh my God. Fan. This is the team. He's got one last game to figure it out, mate. They'll win this game. Fiji have never been Fiji have never been this deep. They're 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 pre-training. They never they didn't expect this. They're out of gas. Yeah, they've been in a lot of they they have played a lot of games with not the not the biggest squad in the world. But fingers crossed, they're out of gas. But uh, Fiji, I think, love being an underdog. They rise to the occasion. They're the cream that reaches the top, rather than England. Sometimes when they are the favourites, so go the opposite way. So uh, we'll 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 see what happens. But Blake, your game for Fiji. Uh, so for England, Jim, what are you going for? Oh, absolutely, England. Okay. My heart's riding with the Fijians, though. With your shirt, yeah? Um, yeah. Uh, Harry, who you going with? Uh, we say, we have Simon on our podcast uh, on Tuesday, so I'm only going to say nice things. It's either going to be the saddest, uh, you know, episode with a, such a nice guy or it's going to be complete jubilance. Uh, I mean, he's winning the World Cup right now just in terms of PR, persona everyone loves him i was gonna say he's come out of this world cup the best isn't he he looks outstanding wouldn't wouldn't be a bad shot for a wallaby coach uh Mm. if if it's going to be the same vibe the same kind of players i mean he knows how to talk to people in that demographic he knows how to talk to people in that age group just a nice guy but no i think fiji does enjoy being the crazy ones and against portugal was like wait you're the crazy ones we're trying to play proper rugby yeah it didn't fit their personality i think they can come in and, and, and sort of say 
let's muck up England's, um, you know, kind of conventional style. But I just, I think they're just out on their feet. I think, um, I think Fiji looks tired, and at some point that becomes a thing. It's actually one of the main reasons why I'm dubious about Ireland and France as well, because they, some of their players played a lot more minutes than the All Blacks and Bucks. But anyway, that's another. I think Fiji's out. I think Fiji's just tired. The biggest question is about it is, though, uh, with this England-Fiji game, um, will Owen Farrell get timed out again when he goes to try and take a kick? <laughs> Donnie Sexton actually did that in uh, the game I was at in, uh, in Nantes, and, the, and Wayne Barnes didn't flag him on it. He, he let him kick it. It was two seconds late. The whole stadium knew it. It was horrible. Oh, uh, yeah. Come on, Wayne. So, come on, Wayne. Owen Farrell Sexton, that's what you get. That's yeah. what you get for years of service, an extra two seconds. Yeah, I know, absolutely. And he's been in the referee's ear the entire time. But anyway, that's enough about Johnny Sex. So, um, obviously, the quarterfinals, super excited. And you know what? We'll be listening to your podcast, hopefully, to a very upset Simon on Tuesday. So I look forward to that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to a great round of, uh, round of rugby and interesting to see who the semifinals are. Because I think this will be the best round, potentially, before, as I said before, before that final game. So, um yeah, looking forward to the weekend's rugby. And and thank you for giving your insight today, Harry, on, on them all. It's been great. Enjoy the chat. Yeah. Cheers for coming on, mate. Appreciate yeah. it. Love being with you guys. I've heard your voices for a while. It's kind of fun to see your, your faces. And uh, go well. Sorry, Richard, what's about to happen in the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I just want to read out what Richard said. Thanks so much. For everyone who listens to us, I'm sure they're familiar with the, your work, but where can they listen to you? Where can they read you? Where Where do they need to follow you? Yeah, so podcast is the, the Raw Rugby podcast. It's on Spotify, it's on Apple, Apple, whatever. And then I write a weekly column, sometimes bi-weekly right now, on the Raw. Um, and then I'm prolific on X Twitter. You'll see me in cold plunges. Um, you know, I'm just trying to be a rugby poet, just write about this beautiful ballet, the brutal ballet that we play mm-hmm. and love. On that, can I just say it's such a unique take. Um, and as a history English teacher... I sincerely appreciate the different approach to pros in rugby um, and your series on going through the positions and the lead up to the World Cup, I absolutely adored. So if people haven't had an opportunity to read that, I, I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, that's that's going to become a graphic novel. I've just signed a, a deal on that. So hopefully you'll see it coming out and I'm going to make all the, all the positions into cartoons like bears and mastiffs and Neanderthal monks. It's going to be fun. Love it. Absolutely love it. Is your uh, is your is your coach going to be Eddie? Just out of uh, you know, when she's <laughs> just to shit tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for joining us today, Harry. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your time over in, in France. I'd love to yeah, love to chat again at some point, and uh, yeah, go England, go to Bockies, and uh, go Ireland. Yeah, if you're in Sydney, come grab us for a beer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll be there next year. Cheers, guys. All right, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, mate.